Welcome back to Rockstock Channel. Matt Fernley, uh, you were on last year talking about dirty graphite, and we hope to have you on sometime in the future to talk about graphite again. But uh, today, we wanted to have you on because uh, toward the end of last year, you wrote this great note, how high can lithium prices go? And then you uh, put out a very popular tweet last week about kind of constrained and unconstrained EV penetration. So we'd love to talk lithium today uh, with those two as our, our guideposts. But before we do that, could you uh, introduce or reintroduce yourself and, and what you do? I'm a geologist by training. Uh, I've been in the um, equities research, the commodities research industry for 20 years on and off as, as both an uh, equity analyst and a commodity analyst. On Obviously, I have a lot of experience of uh, forecasting demand trends, forecasting how materials behave um, and pricing trends, etc. And we track all of the information um, that I feel is, is important to taking a view on these materials and also on the, the stocks that are producing these materials, as well as battery materials review, also um, work as uh, head of research for Westbeck Capital's Volta Fund, uh, which is an energy transition fund. So uh, I, I do actually put my money where my mouth is. Uh, Again, a battery materials review, is that just a monthly subscription? You also have a podcast. You interviewed Ken Brinson a few months after we did. What's it cost and, and, and what do you get? Battery materials review um, for, for private uh, individuals, it costs £480 a year to subscribe. That gives you 12 issues. Uh, for corporates, it's uh, £1,200 per year to subscribe. We also do the uh, Recharge podcast uh, on a monthly basis. And I have a co-presenter, Cormac O'Lara, who's a, a battery expert who's based in Hong Kong. Um, so let's go into um, this article. I mean, that's the main crux of this. How high can lithium prices go? If you could kind of just lay out briefly um, the arguments you put into that spodumene prices to go as high as 5,000 and lithium carbonate prices to go as high as 60,000, which is quite a bit higher than spot prices are and, and absolutely you know outrageous if, if you were to think about 12 or 18 months ago where prices could go. Yeah. Uh, whereas sell-side analysts are, are much, much, much lower than that. So how do you get to your prices and what is everybody missing? We are now in virgin territory for lithium prices. They've never been this high. So how do you forecast a price of an industry where you've never seen prices that high before? What I did for, for my methodology is I went back to the um, materials super cycle between 2003 and, and 2007 to 2008. And I looked at the behavior, the relationship between prices and demand and prices and industry size um, during that event. So uh, when China was urbanizing, uh, we, see a, we saw a major secular demand event and we also saw a very tight supply event, similar to what we're seeing in battery real materials now. And I basically uh, looked at the correlation between um, the uh, amount that prices rose during that event and the market size for each of those um, commodity slash materials, and then applied that to the battery materials and, and where we were now and, and lithium in particular. And um, the initial work I did in this was in um, October, 2020. And I initially published in October, 2020 saying that lithium prices 
were likely to quadruple uh, from, from the levels that they were at at that time. Uh, and everybody said, you're nuts, you're absolutely crazy. You know, there's no way lithium prices are gonna go up that much. Uh, actually, as it happened, I was conservative uh, and lithium prices shot right through those targets. And I think that's a factor of how tight the market is and in what sort of level of deficit the market is at the moment. So we went back and we, we brushed off our data and we looked at quarterly pricing rather than annual pricing. And we did a little, little bit more detailed analysis. Uh, and basically the numbers that you uh, described earlier, $5,000 a tonne for spodumene concentrate and $60 a kilogram or $60,000 a tonne for lithium carbonate. That's what came out of our uh, upgraded analysis. And uh, even, those, even though those numbers sound absolutely crazy now, um, if I look back over what happened in the commodity supercycle, um, at the beginning of the supercycle, we expected $1 copper was crazy. And at the end of the super cycle, we got to $4 copper. Um, so, you know, my view is if you have a secular demand event and a tight supply situation, you are going to get prices overshooting what you ever thought they could be. Um, and, you know, based on my experience, I think, you know, one of the issues that we have at the moment on the sell side is there aren't a lot of analysts who've actually had experience of forecasting a secular demand event. Uh, and that's a key, a, a key concern. Um, and, uh, you know, we've made all those mistakes. I've made those mistakes. Uh, the people I, I work with have, have made those sort of mistakes. Um, and I didn't want to make them again. So I, I wanted to go in with, with what I thought was a more realistic forecast, uh, rather than being in a situation where I have to take my forecast up 30% every, every three or four months or so. You walk through, um, there are three uh, bullet points here in particular. First of all, I think there is an assumption in the market that 100% of the lithium carbonate that comes out of Latin America is battery grade. And it's not. It could easily be only 70 to 80% of the material that comes out. And yes, a lot of that material can be upgraded to battery grade, but some of it can't. And in the process of upgrading that material, you get what are called recovery losses, where not all of that material survives the processing to be used. So if an analyst is suggesting that 100% of material coming out of these operations in Latin America is battery grade, then they're overstating. The second point is a similar point, and a lot of analysts look at the hard rock production that's coming out of Western Australia. All of that is going into the battery industry. And it's not actually true because what happens is the spodumene concentrate that comes out of Western Australia then has to be converted to lithium chemicals. So that basically then goes through a second stage of conversion and that has a recovery factor as well. So only 85 to 90% recovery levels are, are viable for spodumene concentrate. So a lot of analysts are forecasting that 100% of the spodumene concentrate that's produced out of the mines goes into the battery industry and it's not it's only 85 to 90 percent of that material so again analysts are overstating supply the third point on supply i want to make is that new projects have a history of um disappointing shall we say 
generally these projects take a lot longer to ramp up than expected and on top of that at the moment we're also dealing with covid related supply chain issues and particularly issues with sourcing labor in a lot of these key regions like western australia where a lot of these projects are coming on the final point is on demand and it's um, a really core thing and to understand this point you have to think about how analysts are forecasting demand for battery raw materials because what analysts are doing is they're looking at ev sales forecasts and they are working back from what the ev sales forecast is into what battery demand is and therefore into what raw material supply is sorry raw materials demand is and they are missing out one very core segment and it's a little bit of a dirty secret in the battery industry that there is this thing called battery yield that a lot of the batteries that are produced by these factories are faulty they either fail uh, production tests at the cell factory or they fail production tests at the ev factory or downstream of there so if analysts are not factoring in battery yield of say 70 percent of capacity then they are massively understating demand a lot of the raw materials that are used to produce batteries are effectively wasted because they produce faulty batteries okay great that's awesome thanks for walking through that article uh, and before we get into more kind of q a let's turn to this uh, tweet you put out between constrained and unconstrained ev penetration if i look at your numbers i see 2030 you're estimating in the constrained scenario EVs globally will only be 20 million in total. Yeah. But Tesla, you know, and all of its fans, you know, who follow them, you know, basically said they alone will produce 20 million units. So will Tesla have 100% market share in 2030? What we've basically found over the last four or five years is that the, the amount of investment that's going into the EV part of the supply chain is about eight to 10 times the amount of investment that's going into the raw material part of the supply chain. And given it only takes two years to build a factory and it takes between three and 10 years to build a mine, what we're looking at here is a structural undersupply in battery raw materials. And, and, and basically that's the reason why I built this, um, this, this way of modeling. So over the last, um, well, up until the middle of last year, I was at the top end of consensus for my EV sales forecasts. And over the course of the rest of the year, I fell from the top end of consensus to the bottom end of consensus. Uh, and the reason I did that was because I couldn't take my EV sales forecasts up anymore because based on my bottom-up modeling of raw material supply, there wouldn't be enough lithium and other raw materials to make that many EVs. And, you know, we've seen EV, uh, sorry, we've seen sell-side EV sales forecasts go through the roof over the last six months or so. And it seems to me that the sell-side, um, because they haven't got their supply-demand forecast right on the raw materials side, is overestimating the amount of electric vehicles that have been made. And I just wanted to find some way to show what was actually going to be viable off the raw material investments that, that, that have already been made or the feasibility studies that have been done. So that's what that, 
that chart is is aimed at doing. And and to come back to your specific question, my view is that um, um, the OEMs are being completely unrealistic. Not just Tesla, but but other major OEMs are being completely unrealistic um, about the amount of uh, EVs that are going to be able to be produced if there isn't uh, a substantial investment in the upstream part of the industry very, very quickly indeed. Well, Matt, every day uh, I'm watching CNBC, it's now January 16th, I, I could point to three or four um, uh, you know, CNBC high profile you know, segments where they're talking about lithium, lithium shortages, uh, you know, and then Byron Wien, we have talked about this, uh, who put out a, a famous forecaster now at Blackstone, ex-Morgan Stanley, basically in his top 10 predictions said that what you're saying is that raw material supply constraints uh, are, are going to prevent EV penetration being as, as big or they there's a significant risk of that, you know, and then Shamath Palapatiya is basically saying, a famous investor, you know, battery materials is is the scope. So, the your um, chart is reflecting, you know, and you've done a lot of the bottom up work. It's starting to penetrate mainstream financial media. Uh, we had a fair bit of financing last year. I calculated seven and a half billion in lithium financing. I think I saw on your your blog that you, you forecast a bit more than that, and then you looked at all the other metals. But it still pales in comparison, you're right, to all of the EV investments that are being made. But you just had, you know, LG Chem went public, raised $10.5 billion uh, for their LG energy solutions. Will they use some of that capital uh, to invest in upstream raw materials? Will Ford, if they sell their stake in Rivian, uh, use some of that? Because Jim Farley at Ford has talked about, you know, going all the way up to the mine. Um, do you see the battery companies who have very big market caps, have a lot of the cash, the cathode makers can't do it, they're not really making any money. Um, you know, the Teslas of the world, the auto OEMs of the world, the, the big battery companies have signed, you know, off takes here or there, but yeah. haven't really written big checks. Do you need that? Or is it all just going to be capital market funded? And you have seen capital I, markets responding, yeah. but is I mean, it fast I enough? I think the big issue here is that, um, you know, since 2018, when obviously the raw material, uh, battery raw material markets peaked, uh, it's been very difficult for mining companies to, to raise capital. And if you look at the industries that are leveraged to the battery supply curve, um, the only industry that currently is sitting on net cash positions is the auto industry. So, you know, you, you do expect the auto companies to have done their homework and, and realised that there is a big imbalance in this industry, but clearly they haven't. And, you know, th this, this, is the, um, this is the problem that, we're, that we're dealing with. Uh, yes, now the battery companies are sitting on uh, a fair amount of cash, or some of them are, but a lot of that cash has to go into their own uh, expansion. At the end of the day, the auto companies are sitting on quite big net cash positions, um, plus cashing up from all of these SPAC deals, uh, etc. And, you know, I, I like to see the auto companies coming to the market, because at the end of the day, they're the guys that are going to get stuck between a rock and a hard place. 
uh, with this. The, most of the battery manufacturers have raw material price pass-through clauses and uh, the auto companies don't because effectively their end consumer is us. And, you know, why am I going to go and replace my ICE vehicle with a vehicle that costs twice as much? Um, and I'm not. So, you know, the, the, um, the EV story succeeds or fails on whether auto companies can provide EVs at a reasonable price. Um, and of course, if, if raw material costs are going up, battery costs are going up, it's going to be increasingly difficult for them to do that. So I, I really would like to see the auto companies starting to move. Many of us in the industry, you, me, uh, the guys from Benchmark, other guys in the industry have been saying this for three, four, five years now. And it's clear that the auto company management teams have not done their homework. Um, I think auto companies are used to dealing with mature industries like steel, where they turn around and say, yeah, I have another 10,000 tons of steel this month, or actually I need to cut my uh, buy to 10,000 tons less of steel next month. And, you know, that's easy in a mature industry like steel. But in an industry where lith in, like lithium, where we're going to need seven times uh, the size, the current size of the industry within the next 10 years, it's just not possible. Um, and I, I just don't think that the auto industry has gone any further than perhaps the battery side with its industry analysis. And the other major issue I think that, that, that we're dealing with at the moment is if you look at the procurement departments of the auto industry, um, we're definitely starting to see some movement in the last 12 to 18 months. I can name four or five different auto manufacturers which now have raw materials procurement departments that didn't have them 12 to 18 months ago. But almost to a person, the people who run those departments are, um, shall we say politely, 20 to 30 years younger um, than the people who sit on the boards of these auto companies and probably four or five levels of management below them. And I think that's the problem. The people who are in the procurement departments, they know now that there's a problem. The people who are on the boards of auto companies, they're still living in cloud cuckoo land. And that's the issue that we're dealing with. <laughs> so we, you know, we need the auto companies to, to wake up very rapidly to understand that there is an issue. If auto companies invest now, you can still head off the issue by 2028, 20, 29, 2030. Not for the next five years, but maybe for the end of the decade. Um, but they have to start investing now in those projects. You have seen auto companies last year sign off-take agreements um, with geothermal projects using DLE extraction. So, yeah. you know, Volkswagen and um, Stellantis and Renault. So is this a reflection that they finally understood that they need to lock in you so, know, supply security? Yeah. So in terms of the offtake contracts with the auto companies, um, I've said it so many times, you've said it, we've all said it. In my view, offtake is not enough, you know? Um, for the auto companies, because they're acting, because they're moving so slowly, because the Western world auto companies have moved so slowly on this, um, what's left in terms of offtake is either very early stage projects, which aren't that developed, or it's what I would call um, 
less plain vanilla projects. So plain vanilla projects in a lithium area are things like hard rock spodumene, which we know can be upgraded to lithium hydroxide, or brine projects, which can, can make lithium carbonate. Um, less plain vanilla projects are untested technology at the commercial scale. So things like geothermal projects relying on direct lithium extraction or sedimentary uh, lithium projects. Um, you know, we know they work in the lab, but we don't know if they work um, at large scale on a commercial basis for boundary grade lithium. So, you know, um, it's all very well that some of the Western auto companies have signed up these offtake agreements with these um, DLE geothermal projects, but we actually don't know if those companies are going to be successful at producing um, the stated amount of product to the correct specifications in the time um, time schedule that they've set out. Um, so for me, that you know, that's the risk. And and as I've said before, offtake is just not enough. These companies have got to deploy their balance sheets and start investing in the industry. Because the other point that's a big issue is the sort of investments we're seeing are only in producing assets or assets that are close to production. And if we genuinely want to have uh, a viable industry, we need to start investing further down the value chain. It's got to start investing in juniors and making capital available for juniors to go forward and develop and explore and find the assets of tomorrow. And, and you know, that's a big area um, that the, you know, the, the, the industry is just not looking at at the moment. We know we have a problem. It looks like, unquestionably, we're in structural deficit now. So the question now is, Matt, if, if an OEM came and asked, you know, what is it that you see as the fastest route and flow sheet to increase battery grade lithium supply? How would you answer that question? If it was a specific OEM, I would sit down and say, look, um, these are my five um, most favorite projects which are close to production or in production or maybe a little bit away from production, I suggest you buy one of these and use the material from the, this project. Because if you do that, then you could effectively be paying uh, the production cost of lithium carbonate or lithium hydroxide rather than the market price. For if it's the auto industry, what I would say to them would be go out, take a couple of billion dollars and finance as many projects as you can, because only by financing a lot of projects are you going to push the price down. It won't be for the next five years, um, but beyond that, you would be successful in pushing the price down if you finance a lot of projects. Um, but it's only by deploying your balance sheets that you're going to get yourselves out of this. Tolling, spodumen concentrate in China. Yeah. To utilize the excess capacity that's there, is that an viable option for you? I think that most um, spodumene concentrate producers are quite keen to go fully integrated um, over time. So when capital is available for them, I would expect them to set up their own uh, integrated um, lithium chemicals production. So I think the tolling industry in China is going to struggle. Uh, do you see, you know, Canada is a meaningful supplier of, of both spodumen and chemicals in the future, especially if you look at some of the quality of the ore bodies and, and low impurities and the fact that they have access to low GHG hydropower? 
absolutely. I mean, I'm really excited about Canada, uh, not just in lithium, um, in nickel, in graphite as well. I think Canada's got some of the best resources in the world uh, in lithium, in graphite, in nickel. Uh, a lot of these unexplored and undeveloped, um, really world-class hard rock spodumene assets out there. Um, and, you know, given that it's got access to a lot of hydropower from uh, both an efficiency standpoint and also from a CO2 intensity standpoint, it, it makes a lot of um, sense for Canada to set itself up as a, a major battery raw materials production center. You've obviously got, um, you know, the potential of the US EV industry sitting just to the south. Um, and I, I think I think Canada should obviously invest in raw material production, but I also think Canada should invest in processing. So why let that raw material go over the border in its in its raw form? You should process it also in Canada, uh, potentially put the cathode plants in place as well, and then ship cathode south of the border into the US cell factories. Um, but for me, Canada should be looking to fully integrate itself uh, in the battery raw materials industry is a huge once in a lifetime opportunity for, for Canada based on the resources that it's sitting on. You know, in the super cycle, we saw a lot of downstream industries coming in and making money available to mining companies, junior mining companies. And we've got to see that coming going forward. Um, you know, as we all know, with investing in junior mining companies, not all of them are successful. But we, you, you know, you've got to create um, uh, a sort of nucleus of, of companies that can be successful and go to the next stage. I guess that's the whole point, really, is if you, you know only a percentage, therefore you need, it's a numbers game. You need, I mean, you need to finance a lot of projects. And that's, you know, that's the issue that we're dealing with at the moment. I mean, in battery materials review, I, I've, I've sort of split the, lithium developers and explorers into generations and i regard the junior companies of this era as generation four and over the course of 2021 i think we raised something like 100 150 million dollars for generation four it's just not enough we need 10 times that amount, yeah, that amount yeah, yeah. to take generation four ahead um, so you know we we need to get that capital from somewhere now i'm sure some of it will come from private investors um, but at the end of the day, more of it could come from downstream in the battery industry who, who clearly have, you know, access to that sort of capital. It's funny you mentioned Generation 4. We've been calling this kind of lithium, you know, we're, we're in lithium 3.0, but the, the new exploration company is lithium 4.0. But if you look at our scoreboard, um, <laughs> if you compare March 2020, the bottom of uh, COVID, uh, you, you saw a whole bunch of assets some companies relatively reasonably advanced, you know, at 25, 50 million market cap. Mm -hmm. And now you're seeing um, brand new exploration juniors, you know, raising 10, $15 million and they have 25, 50 million market cap. Yeah. So th there is funding um, coming out next generation. We've been associated with a few of those and, and we're gonna be talking um, about uh, uh, those new companies in, um, you know, throughout this year and, and in coming years. Uh, it's riskier, but there are obviously for a private investor, there's more money to be made um, in the smaller companies 
at this stage in the cycle. Early on in the cycle, you want to focus on the production companies, the assets that are in production that have got operating leverage. As the cycle moves on, uh, investors are looking to take on a little bit more risk and to, to, to move into the juniors a little bit more. So yeah, it makes sense to be looking for the early stage opportunities in what's likely to be a multi-year cycle. It's a good point. Uh, Rodney was saying, you know, last year we experienced, you know, you know, five times upside, you know, five years of upside in, in one year. So yeah. a lot of, you know, and luckily we were uh, watching it very closely and and well positioned and, and hopefully followers of Rockstock Channel and our work um, have uh, benefited from that. Uh, yeah, but the question is, yeah, that you, you can't talk about individual stocks because you you represent a hedge fund here. But you know, on balance, you know, what's more likely to triple, right, or quadruple from here? You mm -hmm. know, a company that's already, you know, four or five billion market cap, you know, or one that's twenty five or fifty million market cap. So yeah, exactly, uh, and also the juniors are adding a lot of value. So you know, if I go from a from a situation where I don't have a resource to a situation where I've got a, you know, 20 million tons at 1% lithium oxide, then obviously I've added a lot of value. Um, and, you know, I could triple, quadruple, go up 10 times or whatever like that. So, yeah, that there's, I think, you know, as the, as the cycle matures, you start to look a little bit lower down the market cap spectrum to, to realise uh, appreciation.